You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. Your weekly look at movies, video games, and more brought to you by your hosts, Ace Scully and Sid Talk. We're addicted to movies. Are you? Welcome, Sid Talk. Hello. How are you doing? Once again, you caught me in the middle of a swallow. Well, stop swallowing. <laughs> I'm never watching your timer, so I don't know when that 20 seconds of silence... Stop swallowing. For the audio people out there, you got to do 20 seconds of silence. Well, you don't have to, but that's his method. And then you have a little sample of silence and blah, blah, blah. So then you always just, I'm like, oh, it's over. You know what I've learned from that? There is no silence. Uh, There is no silence. You're right. Nothing's ever silent. So, And also I was engrossed in this. I'm looking at my Instagram feed. Yes, we don't sit here and stare at each other for this podcast. And this guy made a salad that looks amazing. Just off topic, but just saying. That's the reason Instagram was invented, so you could look at a salad. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So it is Saturday, March the 19th. This is after the show, 728. We're a movie review podcast. We review a movie every week. And this week, we're looking at the 2021 release of Nightmare Alley. It's out on this upcoming Tuesday, March the 22nd on Blu-ray and 4K, but you can stream it now on digital. It's rated R. It's from our friends at Fox and Disney, who sent us a streaming version to watch. So Sid Talk, give us a synopsis of Nightmare Alley. Con man. This is a great synopsis. Con man man grifter guy. Well, it's called Nightmare Alley. So con con man grifter guy story. How's that? All right. I'll give you the one off the box. Are you ready? Are you sure? There is no box because it's digital, but I'll pretend there's a box. You're old-fashioned. An ambitious carny with a talent for manipulating people with a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychologist who is even more dangerous than he is. That is a fair assessment. (laughs) I'll give him credit for that. And also, he said carny as... Chili con carny. No, that's (laughs) that's a different thing. (laughs) Carney, as in someone who works in a carnival. All right. I know that some people might be like, Connie. Connie? Who's Connie? Connie. Carney. <laughs> An ambitious carnival person. <laughs> yes. Is that bad? <laughs> no, I like the way you say it. I'm just your translator. That's it. I just want other people to know what you're right, saying. Fine. I'm not... Who works in the carnival? I'm speaking the first language. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, this again. All right. So, Nightmare Alley. I can't say the director's first name ever. I've tried. It doesn't work. So I call him Del Toro. That's that's my friend. Guillermo. 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 Did I do it? Well, like Guillermo kind All of right. thing. Guillermo. So this is Guillermo Del Toro's See? latest movie. You did it. Sid Talk, what did you think? I loved it. The end. <laughs> Good, because we've got a nice supper waiting for us. <laughs> I really enjoyed this movie. I was like, hook, line, and sinker had a bigger... This movie grifted me. It conned me into being like all in. You well, know I don't what I'm think saying? it conned you. Because, you know what I'm saying? Though It sucked yeah. me in. It did the little tease and it did a little this and everybody was, everything looked amazing. And that's one of the things, I guess I'm a very visual person. And so as soon as the movie's looking beautiful and the sets are amazing and the lighting is amazing, I'm a little bit entranced. And then also like, oh, these people, right? 
what the heck is happening here? So I was into it. I just, what did you think? So this takes place in the 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. That's the era. Right at the beginning of World War II and then kind of through the years of World War II. Yeah. Now, I really like that era. I think it's fascinating. I always have, you know. There are certain period piece things where I'm not into the era. For example? The 1800s. The 1600s. I don't the like The whole them. of 1800. That's 100 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all of... So, but the 1700s. I'll watch the 1800 movies. Don't get me wrong, but it's not my favorite time period. Do you mean movies made in the 1800s? Because that's a very... That's very few, <laughs> if any. I mean, there's a few at the very... That's when it was invented there at the end, but... Uh... But it is a evocative... Okay, kind does, of... we have to go back to this. Why do the 1800s bother you? I have no idea. But that's like... um. You're one of your favorites. Which? You know, with the top hat and the... Oh, yeah, Gangs of New York. Yes. Is that in the 1800s? Look, boys and girls, this is what happens when you're married for like 20-some years. All I have to do is say, the one with the top hat. Yes. (laughs) And I didn't say top cat. I said... Top hat. Yeah. I mean, I could have said the cartoon top cat. Because he wears a top hat. I don't even know what that is. So no, that wouldn't apply. But you knew exactly what I was talking about. But that movie is set back in them times, I think. Right back in them times. All right. I like that movie then. So forget my statement. I'm not a big fan of 30s gangster type movies. But if you eliminate the gangster part and just put me in the 30s aesthetically. Right. World and everything else that you could possibly examine from the 20s and 30s. I'm into that, but not the, I guess, the genre. This movie, I like that genre, and I like the look of that. I also like the carnival aspect to this. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite episodes of The X-Files contains a carnival. Do you remember that one? hmm So I like that. I expected this to be, you know, with it being directed by Mr. Del Toro, I expected it to be overly creepy, supernatural, psychological, whatever you say. Mm-hmm. But it's not really, is it? Uh... I mean, it's got elements of it, but it's not. I'm thinking of another film of his that is really... Which one? No, I'm trying to think of another film. Oh. Like, which one? Which other film of his? Like, Pan's Labyrinth. Never seen it. Movies that are really... Oh, Hellboy, even. Movies Hellboy that are is really... not magical. I mean, it is. It's me. There's it's... a Hellboy. I know, but it's like mutants and stuff. Monsters and... and... I get it. He's from hell. I get that. But, I mean, it's not like... This one's less... Yeah, mon- I mean, it's completely devout of monsters. There is... It's not a monster thing, is it? It's more of a, well, it's based on like a novel from the 40s. Is that correct? Correct. So it's not his work, but it's the less, the least monstery slash supernaturally thing that he's done, I think, because it's more of just of a straight up story, right? It's like a, you listen to a lot of radio plays Mm -hmm. and by osmosis, I listen to a lot of radio (laughs) plays and a lot of those radio plays have the same vibe of this. What we're talking about is I listen to old-timey radio on Sirius XM. This is not a commercial. Which just, uh, station is that again? 148. Yeah. Radio Classics. And it's and just constant radio plays. It is. Well, we don't call them radio plays, but I mean, there's radio shows. There's a very specific vibe that this movie was giving me of like, oh yeah, I've listened to these tales. And this story might be one. I just don't recall it. I'd have to look into it a little bit. But yeah, it's very, it's kind of like in your face. Now, a radio show can't be, you wouldn't think, but they actually are. And they're kind of like dark, really dark. And this movie's got some darkness, like them accepting that they're really terrible people 
deep down yeah. inside. And it's a lot of people taking advantage of other people. Correct. Or trying to pull the wool over their eyes to try and get what they want. Like I said at one point, I uh, got to try to figure out who's zooming who here. <laughs> yeah. And this movie, a mystery kind of thing. It's hard. Like as it goes along, you're like, oh, I'm not quite sure. You know, I was right up until the last 10 minutes, I was still kind of going, I don't know what is who did what or what did who. Correct. I'm not I- talking about it being complicated. I'm just saying it was holding its cards to its chest for such a long time when it finally revealed them. I was actually really satisfied with it. Let's not spoil this movie because I think you should watch it, right? Well, they should watch it anyway. And it's all about the mystery. Is it a mystery? Um, Kind of, right? You don't know exactly. Well, you're going to make it hard if we can't spoil anything. Well, we'll get into a spoiler section, but for this part here. Oh, okay. It's really like finding out what's at the heart of each person. Like, is that a good person or is that a bad person? Is that person going to stiff you or is, you know, that's what it is. It's a character study. Mm. And it's like you said, beautifully shot. I noticed that from the opening sequence. It's attention to details like really off the charts. If you just look at the side of the frames all the time, there's like posters and like bits of artifacts in the carnival. Oh, it's gorgeous. And then when you're in like the ladies' psychiatry office, there's all kinds of things in that room. You it's could look so, at it. It's so lush. Yeah, every single set is lush. And it's. I kept thinking, is this a pre-existing place? Are we just in like an office building that looks like that? Or did we build a set? And I feel like they built sets. Because, you know, you could go into an office building that was Art Deco, right? Like Absolutely. in New York or wherever. But it is... Gorgeous. The lighting is amazing. It's got that kind of like kind of shadowy, gloomy thing a lot. But it's not like you can't see anything. It's not dark and correct. And yeah, it's really from the beginning when it opens up in the carnival and there's lightning in the sky and you can hear the thunder in the background. It just like takes you there. Absolutely. Yeah, I like to that's what I was saying about I was all in. Yeah, it's like a gloomy atmosphere, but like you want to investigate it. It's got humor. Not a lot of humor, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But there is some funny parts in the beginning, you know, before it starts to get dark. And then when it really gets dark, it does get dark in Del Toro's way, doesn't it? I mean, it's quite brutal, some of the violent scenes, let's say. true. Like he loves to show you, I'll just say it this way, in a bland way. If somebody gets shot, like in in some things, you just see a red patch and they, they you know they got shot. He likes to show you what really would happen if you shot somebody. <laughs> so like, kind of, yes. and then you're kind of looking at it, going, "Oh wow, that's yeah. really is that over the top or is that really how it looks?" Exactly. I feel like that's really how it looks, and he's watched a lot of real police footage. Oh, you reckon he's looked murders at and murder stuff. pictures and stuff? Yeah. Well, I think he's pretty obsessed with mm. the macabre. Let's say. Anything else? We'll go on to some spoilers. Okay, no. I mean, it's just good. All right, spoilers then. So, it's a mystery that's unfolding. And I couldn't work out, and this is exactly why it was constructed well. But what's the mystery exactly to you? Well, the mystery to me is to figure out who is good and who is bad. And who is pulling the rug from some, you know, each person. But the main mystery to me was... Bradley Cooper's character, what exactly is he? Mm. Like, you see him in a very 
uncompromising position right at the opening of the movie, putting a corpse under some floorboards. Correct. That's how you're introduced to him. So you're like, oh, what's he doing? And then for the next 20 minutes, he joins a carnival. He starts to learn what the carnival is and kind of like... Immediately picks up on the con men. Yeah, pick learns he go he kind of goes well that guy does that and he gets money for it so i'll learn from him without him knowing i'm learning from him and he kind of like picks up things and then eventually has his own act that he can grift people with and that was the thing i was like is he just a chancer i know he put a body under the floor but there could be a legitimate reason for that yeah i thought about that too well yeah yeah like it could have been necessary and he didn't kill that person so all the way through i was like what the hell is he and he was pulling so much of a grift on me as well because like, <laughs> i was like he's charming he's smart but then sometimes he seems like he's off the rails and then sometimes the grift's going too well you know it seems to be going too well surely it's got to come undone at some point and it does come undone eventually and you learn what he is was the ending satisfying for you is what I'm getting at. But do you think you've learned that he is? I think you learn that he is just a chancer. And how things go, how the cards fall on the table is what is going to happen to him. Mm-hmm. Like, he's very calculated with what he's doing. And he obviously had a plan. The plan never really goes his way because there's other cards in play, right? There's, if it was a card game, there's mm-hmm. other people on the table who are like, no, because I'm doing my own thing, which will interfere with yours. But I feel like he just is trying to live and get along and using his intelligence and uh, grift knowledge. You always have a way of like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. He's a bad person. He is a bad person. He's not just trying to get by. He's trying to figure out a way to like basically just not rampage because he's not that type. Just like slither his way. To find, and he even said at one point, money is all that matters. It's all that matters. Nothing else matters. Right? So you have to add that to his behavior, and he's willing to do things. He's really sneaky. He's really, he's intelligent. He also has a lot of skills, right? He fixes a truck. He does the grifty thing. He does the announcing for them. He sells stuff. He, you see throughout that he has a lot, he draws, he's an artist. He's an he engineer. Yeah, he can build stuff. So he's got <laughs> a lot of skills, right? That's not just a guy who's just, you know, trying to get by. Well, I feel like he is. And he <laughs> just gets, he drifts off into some gray areas on occasion. Things, things kind of happen in front of him and he has to react to them. I think maybe you're, maybe, just putting this out there. But the actual point, the morality tale here is you what? get, you get what you get. karma. Right, yeah. So his end, we're in the spoiler territory, is exactly what he deserves. That means the whole time, as a human being, he's terrible. Yeah, one of the things that I really liked about that was he just accepted it at yep. the end. <laughs> I think he kind of accepted it all along. Like, that was just the way it was going to be at some point, you know? Yeah. It's a simple story at the end of the day. And there's some things that... You know, where I was thinking it was going to go down the supernatural route because it's Del Toro and you kept seeing this, like, dead baby in a jar. Mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be something really odd about it at some point. Let's explain that. Uh, in the <laughs> in the carnival, yeah. this is in the 40s, coming off the 30s, the 20s, also following up vaudeville, right, in that 
com- it's like coming off of the tale of vaudeville in that era, the 1800s, which you just seem to despise for some reason. But yeah, F the 1800s. The carnival guy, and they travel with the circus, and in their freak show, as they do call it, and the physical, the things that people have, the hairy guy, the big guy, the little guy, all that stuff, right? Also, they have an area where you go in and look at all these jars. There's loads of them that have, I'm guessing, some. he he said some kind of formaldehyde. He didn't say formaldehyde, but whatever the alcohol is that's preserving. Yes, dead babies, dead piglets, pieces of bodies, it looks like, here and there, if you look real close. And he kind of explains briefly that these are all, you know, the babies that we have are They didn't make it into the world. Some of them died, whatever, whatever. So the dead baby in the jar is one of many. He just happens to be very particularly grotesque, sadly. (laughs) And they keep focusing on it as if this guy, this is what I took from that, that this baby, when he came into the world, the story was he actually, his mother died giving birth to him. And then he was kind of like, uh, I don't know. The way he described it was terrible. Like he was a little creature instead of a person. But I mean, he was just a baby, right? Yeah. And then he died. Now he's in a jar in a freak show, as they describe it, not me. And so this guy who keeps thinking about it and dreaming about it and they keep focusing on it, it could be like, that's him. He's just a a menace. You know? Yeah. So that's what I took from that. I think I was fixated on, well, this is a Del Toro movie. He's usually got some creepy, you know, supernatural slash element to it. But this is not that. It's just the creepy part, I guess, is the idea of people working in a carnival and basically ripping people off, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like the part of the beginning. Not basically, totally. Yeah, where Willem Dafoe's character's like, he gets them all into the tent. They've already paid some money, I'm assuming, to get into the tent. Yes. But then when they're in the tent, he's like, oh, to see the next part of this, you need to pay again. Like some, it's an Because it is extra special, this part. So it's all about just getting the money off the people. And they all know it. The people, I was going to say the people know it too, but I guess they don't. I mean, you know? it depends on the people. Some people are easily <laughs> led. <laughs> we had a, we're very judgmental here because we're just pretending like we could never get suckered into anything. All never. Things, all things are possible. Let's just say that. So let's move on to the cast. Bradley Cooper plays Stanton Carlisle. What did you think of Mr. Bradley Cooper? Very good. I'm impressed with Bradley I liked Cooper. His, yeah, he was more impressive in this. I mean, he was very, his moment in uh, Licorice Pizza was powerful, but this was, you know, right up there. Yeah. I mean, because you see him in basically every single scene. Yeah, every. I would say you do see him in every scene, don't you? Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett plays Dr. Lilith. What do you think of Kate? Um, she's a little over the top at times, but then if you try to piece together who she is, which we never find out, right? We're never actually explicitly told who this woman is, where she's from, why yeah, she's... You have to do a bit of piecing, yeah. You have to think about it after. Even I, I didn't get it, and you're, like, telling me stuff, so... And at times, she's a... Even she... Even her character says in one line, did I oversell it? And I'm like, yes. Like, this whole time, you're kind of overselling it. But then I was like, okay, well, this guy is a con man, and if she doesn't turn on the extra weird charm and the extra slinky this and that maybe she knows he won't he can't get she's conned. Al- she's almost like cruella de vil like yes she's, a, she's disney you know villain type 
character. At times. Other times she's just right, but there are yeah. moments when, I mean, she's Kate Blanchett. I liked it, though. I think it fit this movie. It reminds me of those old radio plays you listen to. When you listen to the women talk, they're like mm-hmm. slithery a bit. Mm. Oh, some. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to seduce all the time, like that kind of Sometimes, thing. Sometimes, yes. We've got Tony Collette as Xena the Seer. She's from the carnival. What do you think of Tony Collette? Also a little bit, you know, up there, over the top-ish. But Makes I really, sense. I really like her. Yeah, she's a, a lady who reads the tarot cards and... Pretends to be able to tell people like, oh, I sense someone named Dave and there's someone dead in your life who's trying to talk to you. She's that lady. I'm convinced that she's that lady. So that's something. I've also <laughs> got Willem Dafoe as Clem Hotley. I love Willem Dafoe. You do. The Lighthouse. Go and watch that movie. <laughs> or, well, you need to warn them. It's not just like a standard movie. Well, The Lighthouse. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, boon- the Boondock Saints is another one you should watch. Yeah, right? that's what I was trying to think of, where he's yeah. like this crazy detective guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love Willem Dafoe. He's crazy in this, too. He was, yeah. I thought he fit perfectly as that guy. Like, the guy who's, like, full of bravado, but he's also trying to fuck everybody over. Yes. We've also got Rooney Mara as Molly Calhill. She's Mr. Cooper's woman. What did you think of Rooney? Oh, She's also a lecturer. In this movie. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, the electric lady. Part her thing in the sideshow, we'll call it instead of freak show, is that she can stand and let electricity pass through her, like actually give her a big shock with the, are those Tesla balls or whatever? Where yeah, the Tesla, basically she's just running her hands over the Tesla balls. But it's actually shooting electricity through her. So that's what she does in the show. And she's kind of the meek sort of, you know, little beacon of light in this whole sort of muddy, stinky. Let's not forget to mention it. Let me take a side side shoot here. Go down the side road. Alley. Not a nightmare alley, but a stinky alley. See what I did there? I did. This movie evokes in me. <laughs> and I can't even smell very good anymore since I lost my sense of smell and taste. But I could sense... The putrid, disgusting, moldy, rotten smell that this carnival place, because part of the year it's camped in one place, right? Right out, like out in the country, kind of outside of a small town or maybe a big town. I'm not sure. And then they pack it up and they move as a traveling circus. But it is filthy. It is mucky. Everything's rusty and rotting, you know, like that, like it's at the end of the popularity even near the end of the movie and it's years later, the guy's saying like, well, you know, that's kind of old fashioned and we need something new. But I could smell somewhere in my brain. Couldn't you like the mold? Because it shows it raining once when they're taking all the tents down. And I'm just like, oh, God, I have a thing about things being wet and then <laughs> putting them away. Even the tent that I put up, it got wet. And then I left it in the sun for like seven days because <laughs> I'm like, this shit's going to get dry before I roll it up. But they're rolling it all up and they're all disgusting. I mean, they're sleeping in filthy... Ugh. It's part of the set design and the... It really is, and it was very effective. Like, super effective. We've also got Ron Perlman as Bruno, a favorite of Del Toro. Yeah, I like Ron Perlman because he's my Beauty and the Beast guy. He is Hellboy, right? He is the Hellboy, yes. Yes. I mean, no offense, Hopper. Hopper's fine. Hopper's <laughs> fine too, but Ron is where it's at when Correct. it comes to Hellboy. And Mary Steenburgen as Mrs. Kimball. I don't even know why she's listed specially. I no. mean, she was very good. She's like a broken lady. So our con man kind of goes over to what they call doing a, 
was it a spook show? Like a ghost show where you're pretending Seance. to talk to dead. Well, they call it something specific in their world. And everyone keeps telling him, don't do that. Do not go down that route, right? Because it's, first of all, it's terrible. It's evil to trick people into thinking you're talking to their dead loved ones. But then he does it because there's a lot of money involved. And her deal was her son had died at war in World War One, presumably because it had been several years in World, you know, this is the 40s by now. So he kind of convinces her that the kid's in a better place and he's waiting to see them again and blah, blah, blah. And she's really convincing like that she's a little bit broken now, like something's her mental health is not right. Yeah, true. I was convinced. And then it is confirmed. (laughs) But yeah, she was really good. It was brief. Yeah. But she was very good. She's always good. I I always like it. And finally, Richard Jenkins as Ezra Grindle. You might not recognize him, but you'll know his voice. Yeah, I didn't recognize him, but now that you showed me his picture, I'm like, yep, that's him. Yeah, and he is very important in the whole story, let's say. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed him. And yeah, very good. He's, directed he's a by, terrible character. Who's this directed by, Sid Talk? Guillermo. Del Toro. Yeah, Guillermo. He also directed Pacific Rim, Hellboy, Mimic, Pan's Labyrinth, the list goes on. What do you think of his directing here? I mean, it's a gorgeous movie. It's all I, about style, isn't it? Yeah, and quality. Everything's very lush. Like, if I can smell the rot, and when you go into these Art Deco buildings where it's, like, lots of gold and trim, and you walk in, I can, like, feel the chill of the marble, and, like, it's solid, you know? Every, even the alleyway and, like, the alley behind the where the guy's park is, and it's snowing, and they're in the car, and... All that is it's just deep. I mean, I was looking at every little detail. Not that that's his thing, but he's very detail oriented. When they're in Kate Blanchett's office, when they were talking, if you just look out of the window, it's not just like a scene out of the window. There's it's snowing. Mm-hmm. It looks awesome. Like it's just. I was like, wow, they're in a big snow globe. You know, because <laughs> there's attention to detail is just crazy, and I think that may be what makes his movies special in a way. Definitely. We've also got IMDb reviews. What are those? IMDb reviews are reviews on imdb.com, where you like to go find one-star reviews and mock them just a little tiny bit. All right, so these are the people who give this movie one star. And last week's movie only had one one-star review. This one has quite a few, so here we go. I can I'll do understand that, sadly. All right, first guy says, I had to shut this off. I don't really enjoy the things that are mentioned in the synopsis of the movie. This director thinks he's so artsy by putting graphic disturbing scenes. That doesn't show any talent to me. Great directors make all kinds of different films. This guy just lives to upset people. I don't think that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's correct. Okay, next. Second guy says, good actors. It's this guy again. Oh, (laughs) yeah. He says, good actors and acting, amazing sets and costumes, but what a snooze fest. I really wanted to like this, but the script was so incredibly dated, it was painful to watch. (laughs) The original was good for its day, but this should never have been remade. (laughs) What the hell? That voice went a whole new direction. I was... You know, channeling the old radio play. Does your voice character now have an arc that we should be following? Like, has <laughs> something happened to this voice guy that you make up every time? Well, maybe. He's maybe I'll make it like into a movie. He's becoming, like, really theatrical. And finally, this guy says, 
I'm not sure how anybody could sit through this movie without turning it off. Great cast, but an absolutely terrible movie. I'd rather watch Paint Dry and want my two hours and 30 minutes back. Of course, we have to have that guy. Yeah, always that guy. And that guy is always there. (laughs) Let's go with... uh, We didn't see any extras because we watched the streaming version. But in conclusion, I am giving Nightmare Alley. Are you ready for this? Yeah. A nine out of ten. Ooh, I like it. I'm giving it a nine point seven. <laughs> wow, that's really high. Is that more than licorice pizza? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's right up there. It's because it's the whole thing. You yeah. know? I go away from it like, whoa. Like I was there. I mean, I wasn't. It's not magic or anything, but <laughs> it is magic, actually. Movie. It's transportive transportative, whatever the word is, but I really, really, really enjoyed it, so. All right, thank you. Next week, we'll review another movie. Not sure what it is yet, but we'll review one. There'll be a movie waiting for us. Are you ready for movie recommendations? I'm going to (laughs) recommend two movies. I'm not talking to you, Sita. I didn't think so. I felt really skipped over there for some reason. All right, I'm going to recommend you a couple of movies. My first one is uh, Mr. Del Toro movie called Hellboy. The first one, love it. My second one's a Bradley Cooper movie, which I also really love, A Star is Born. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to my recommendations. Yes, without a funny voice. Great, great job. And mine are going to be going back to the 1990s. We could be in 1991, 92. I don't know. I didn't look at the years. However, it's not about quality and they have nothing to do with this movie. It is just telling you all the movies I've seen from the 90s. Father of the Bride. The Prince of Tides. Fried Green Tomatoes, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, and Free Jack. It's quite a combination there. Free Jack is definitely not a good movie. It's not good. Uh, Mm. Father of the Bride is like funny. Prince of Tides is hardcore emotional. Fried Green Tomatoes also has got a combination of all things there. Hand That Rocks the Cradle, just sort of a schlocky horror movie. I kind of like Hand That Rocks the Cradle, but I did not like Free Jack. Rebecca de Mornay. So a Scully stuff this week. I've been playing more Horizon Forbidden West. We've got three story missions left, said Talk, and then we'll have completed the story. How are you liking it now we're 55 hours in? I love it. Still good, right? It is really hours. good, yeah. It's crazy that a game can be... There are games that when you get 20, 30 hours in, you're like, I think I've had enough of this game. But this one, I'm always wanting to do the next thing, and there's lots of story to it. Like, it's quite dense, the story. Some people might say, like, really? You've spent 55 hours of your life playing a video game? Yes. Just, that's the voice that I'm going to develop over time. Right. <laughs> She's starting out super snotty. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see where she goes over the years, but definitely. The thing is, though, if you time out all the things you do with all your other time, all your other entertainment or whatever, yeah. that's just your selfish entertainment. I'm not talking about going to kids' ball games and all that stuff, but like you sit on your phone playing Candy Crush or you look at Facebook or you watch YouTube videos or whatever. You're reading books, right? It's all the same. So if we add it up and we're sitting together on the couch having a good time, I think, having fun. I mean, I don't know how you get through video games without me there to tell you what to do, but that's part of the fun. <laughs> You've only played like a bazillion games and here I am like, did you not see that? How can you not see that thing? It's right in front of you. Or like, just look up. It's right there. You're like, you'd be like, where? I'm like, it's right there. You're like, like, where? I'm like, I'm pointing. We have a very big TV and I'm like pointing. I'm like to the left, right there. 
on the corner. No, you've gone too far. No, uh, uh, like that. I find that fun. <laughs> and sometimes, I, sometimes you might find it torturous. <laughs> sometimes you do see something that I didn't see. Sometimes is like a yeah, a lot of times. <laughs> but need, I enjoyed it. You I need it. me as because I'm the skilled person. Oh who yeah, I could dinosaurs. never do a game like this with my own hands because I'm not into like fighting or battles or moving around. I don't want to have to walk around. <laughs> it scares me. A this little, is like, mostly oh. all walking around. It is a lot of walking, yeah. a lot of fighting. I really enjoy it. It's really fun. So that's for Horizon Forbidden West. Also this week, um, Grand Theft Auto V got a remaster on the PlayStation 5. One thing that always bugged me, I mean, it's a game that's nearly 10 years old now, but one thing that always bugged me, it came out in the 360 era and Rockstar were like pushing the 360 to the edges of its power, you know? And it was 30 frames a second. There was also a lot of stutters, hitches, load times. If all that stuff kind of bugged you in the past. Well, all that's gone away now with the new remaster. And they've made it look better. It loads instantly, like all these new games do. And it's the same game, though, that you know and love. I mean, I haven't played Grand Theft Auto V for a long time now. I bet it's eight years. So I'm ready to play the story again, even though I feel like in my mind I know everything that happens. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm, I'm blanking some of it out. But that's Grand Theft Auto V Remaster. You can get that now. PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S. Sid Talk, what's for dinner? Tonight, we're having Tofurky Roast. And oh, we are. Special. Yeah, well, nothing special happening, really. Just, what did I buy it for? I think I bought it to cook for our anniversary, and then I didn't. Our anniversary is on Groundhog Day. And then, so if you don't know what a Tofurky Roast is, it's just Tofurky. They make like a plant-based deli meat type of thing that they usually slice but this is in like a a ball that you said looks like haggis and on the inside of it is like a really you love this rice stuffing stuff that goes in the middle and that's it i mean we're telling you this because we're vegetarian and people think we're starving to death and there's nothing to eat if you're vegetarian and what's wrong with you and blah 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 but yeah tofurkey and we have some nice oatmeal bread from the mennonite store which is absolutely delicious and then some other things i don't know yet what i'm gonna throw at it but all right, so what's your advice, and let's get out of it. Well, my advice is, let me see if I can read it on my little thingy here. Because, you know, I'm, it's so impactful that I've forgotten what I thought about before. Sounds like it. Well, I have this thing where I lately have been sending some text message every day to a friend of mine. And it's thoughts of the day. And it's just sort of like random things I think of, inspirational things I think of, I mean, bullshit things I think of, whatever. Just little things, you know, to kind of make her laugh or smile or whatever. And this one was, I was just sitting here and I was like, people just get so bent out of shape about shit changing, change in general. Like we seem sort of averse to it. But then I was like, what would have been happening in the, where I'm sitting right now? Now I'm on the second level of a house, but like if I was standing on the ground and rewound time a thousand years, what would be going on in this exact spot in the middle of this landmass? So we're in the middle of North America. What was going on a thousand years ago? In this exact spot, because it existed. Was it a field? Was it a lake? Were there a small town? Was there, as a thousand years ago, wouldn't it would have been what? And if I don't know, and if I research it enough, I might maybe possibly be able to figure it out, because it's a little bit difficult here in the middle of this landmass. You know, there's not a lot of archaeological stuff here. I mean, there's some. If I don't know, I can't figure it out, and it doesn't seem to impact me directly, then in a thousand years from now, if someone's in this exact spot, They'll never know I fucking existed. 
Right? No. Something will be very different in a thousand years. Nations might not exist at all anymore, right? There could be a thousand countries instead of what do we have now, 180 or something. There could be two countries. It could be a world order. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying we don't know because everything changes all the time. All the things change all the time. And this sort of like resistance to any change. I mean, I'm not the best at putting this into words, but like, because you know. Well, some tell. things that are changing are being changed. Obviously, there is now a current war, Russia invading the Ukraine, right? The country, Ukraine. I mean, that's a shitty thing to do. That's not change. That's just like, oh, well, things change. No, that's an asshole who's made a choice to do a violent, horrible, inhumane thing to another group of people for nothing more than some political ideology that he and whoever's around him happen to. That's not the kind of change I'm talking about. I'm not like, yeah, change, motherfuckers. No, <laughs> I'm not talking about that. Because that, that's where the line is, I suppose. It probably moves around. But I just mean like in general, like if people say, well, we can't, we can't have a four-day school week. This is just a thing I see in the headlines. You know, people freak out about it. We've never had four-day school weeks. It has to be five days a week. And I'm thinking, you do realize there didn't used to be school at all. <laughs> like, there was no school 250, that, 200 years ago in America. Even when I've done this history of our little place, our little county up in northeast Missouri, the first schools were early 1800s, the 100 years that you don't like to watch in movies. But before that... People might have been teaching kids things, but there was no school. There was no five-day week. There was no four-day week. There was no eight-to-five job. None of that shit. So how do you think those people thought about all of a sudden the government comes around and says, oh, yeah, by the way, you can't keep your kids here on the farm anymore. They have to go to school. Like, that was a thing, a change that really, like, upset things. I don't know exactly what I'm saying, except that <laughs> change happens. All right, thank that's you. It. That's it. I mean, it's it's revolutionary thing I'm saying there. Thank you very much. Ascully.com is where you can go and change will happen because there'll be a new podcast <laughs> there every week. <laughs> there you go. You can go to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Ascully.com. I've said that already. Anchor.fm slash after the show, Spotify, iTunes, wherever podcasts are available. Email feedback to me, Ascully, Do not email Sid Talk. She doesn't want to know anything about you or interact with you in any way. Is that that's, true? That's not true. I mean, it might might be true. It depends on the person. And stay classy, Mr. Guerrero. Is that right? Guerrero? <laughs> Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. All right. I if there it. was a Y, let's spell, if I put a Y where the two L's are, yeah. would you be able to say it then? No. Like, yes. No, I wouldn't. Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah, I can do it now. Guillermo del Toro. Why don't we just spell it like that then? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to say, did you already say your thing? I did say my thing. You would. <laughs> I'm going to say, think for yourself or someone will do it for you. <laughs> <laughs>